I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and for this show, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by two top tier guests. Uh, first up, Tom Canton from the Guna Talk TV and Football.London. Welcome along, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. I see you've trimmed the beard back a little bit. It's uh, looking a bit thinner than usual. Well, I think it was about a week ago I, I got rid of it completely. So this is like a week's worth of growth. So we're getting back to uh, to fuller settings, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll get there soon because I hate this in-between stage. But thanks yeah. for noticing, man. It, it means a lot. <laughs> uh, also joining us, uh, Dan Potts from uh, Football's 12th Man podcast, uh, AFTV. Uh, he's everywhere these days, Mr. Pottsy. How are you, mate? Welcome back to the channel. Mate, great to be on, man. Um, love what you're doing, Harry. And good to see Tom as always. It's been a while since it's just been the three of us. It's either been the three of us and somebody or just two of us so it's nice to actually see you both on the same show man yeah definitely man and, and i always say it on this show that it's it's my fault uh, that we don't get to do these things as often because i just find it so difficult to plan when i'm going to record that sometimes it just doesn't work and sometimes it's just easier to go i'll just do it so that it's done and and that's that but um always great to catch up with you guys and um on today's show uh, we're going to try and tackle what is the million dollar question at the moment arsenal can win the league but will they? Uh, I'll start with you, Tom. How are you feeling about what remains of this title race? Because the nerves for me at the moment are uncontrollable. And I'm sort of flipping one way to the other every single day. One day I think we're going to win it. The next day I think City are going to win it. I'm finding it really, really hard to kind of go one way on this and stick to it. I mean, how are you feeling about what remains of this race? Yeah, I, I think I've moved past the nervous stage. Uh, in a sense, I think I've kind of convinced myself now as I, you know, I've not experienced a title race for, you know, the majority of my lifetime, you know, um, 19 years, you know, you're talking about two thirds of, of the time I've been alive uh, that I've not experienced a title race. So I'm not going to look at it and go into every game just bricking it now. I'm just going to think this is great. I've had a great time watching this season and it might end in an amazing way. And so I'm just going to try and enjoy every single Arsenal game, appreciate the great football we're playing, appreciate the fact that every opponent we go up against seems to fear us as well, which is a nice place to be. Um, and I like everything I've seen of, of every kind of element of the process come toward this point, the culmination of, of a lot of work behind the scenes, the development of individual players, seeing, you know, trying to guess who's going to score this week. Is it going to be Jesus? Is it going to be Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard? Is, is Xhaka going to pop up with another one? Is Inchenko going to score a great goal? Uh, you know, are we going to see a, a Ben White uh, rarity as well that's not been as rare as it had been in the past before this season? And I'm just going to enjoy it. And that's how I'm now trying to appreciate every game. Yes, it's absolutely, you know, a nightmare scenario to not win it after everything that's happened. But I'm kind of looking at the Man City that we're facing and just going, you know, these guys are a they're a machine at the end of the day. They are a title winning machine. And that's what we're up against. So if we can win a title over these guys, it'll be absolutely amazing. But, you know, I'm, I'm grounded to what we're up against. And uh, I'm just taking it one game at a time now. 
Potsy, how are you feeling at, at this stage? It, He's sweating. I can see him. Look at I, him. I love what Tom's <laughs> saying. Like, I, I, I wish I could have that outlook that Tom Same. has right now, which is enjoy it, embrace it. We're here. Let's make the most of it. But I'm finding it really difficult to feel that way. Likewise, man. Um, it's nervy, isn't it? Now, I would say the last three, four years, I've had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of Arsenal fans. But something different this year of always that because I've started my new channel, I'm now speaking to football fans and the majority of them are all saying, how do you do it? Like it's hard enough for me trying to get 40 points and stay up, you know, or have a mid table battle and try and see if we can sneak into Europe. He's like, but how the hell you do this every week? I don't know. And I suppose Harry, what's interesting with Tom talking about the last time we won a title, we had a different kind of air of confidence about the place because we'd already done it under Arsene Wenger a couple of times previous to 2004. So I think there was more of a confidence within the side that actually, you know, we've been here, we've done this. Um, because this team has not been here and done it, I think it's even more nervy now that they're so young, we've got a young manager, a young team. We've got a fan base that, let's be fair, if they were all honest with themselves, are absolutely desperate and hungry to win this title, more so than Manchester City. I would think that if you were to flip a coin and say you could only have one heads or tails for a title or a Champions League, the majority of the Manchester City fans would probably want that Champions League, whereas this is all we've got to play for. I just feel like this team deserves to win something, Harry, and the only something we can win now is the Premier League. So for me, I'm nervy. I wish I was calm going into these games, but I'm not going to be going into West Ham or Southampton because on paper, I feel like we can win both. But you just don't know in football what can happen. And we have to be near on perfect to win this title. And that's going to be so difficult against the top, top side in Man City, man. So, yeah, nervous would be the word, bruv. Yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. It's, um, it is it is a hard one to kind of navigate through at the moment. You know, you, how are you feeling? And the problem is, is that we're being chased by maybe the greatest team of the Premier League era. If you look at what City have done over the last few years, but also the points tallies that they've managed to amass during that period, it does really point to, to the fact that they are very, very special. I was actually doing a debate earlier today. It was it was filmed and it's going to be out, I think, tomorrow um, with a Manchester City fan. And, and I was asked to kind of put the, the argument over that Arsenal are going to go on and win the title. And actually, the more I sort of sat there and, and took that stance, which was obviously a much more pro-Arsenal stance than maybe I'm feeling at times, um, the more I started to talk myself into believing that actually we are in a great position because, Tom, it's about time that people started to give Arsenal the respect for what they've done this season. They've they've hit snags and they've recovered from them. They've come up against good sides and they've managed to come out on the other side. They went for a really long period without Gabriel Jesus after the World Cup, who was a key player. Arsenal, for me now, have earned the respect. And although that isn't going to help the nerves and it isn't going to stop us feeling this way, it should give us some confidence, should it not? Yeah, no, without doubt. Anyone not giving Arsenal the credit they deserve right now is just salty. Like, you know, they're just salty. Um, and it's just it's just a personal thing at the end of the day that they don't like Arsenal, don't like the club, whatever. You know, and that's fine. Yeah, to have have the salt, mate. Have the salt. It's absolutely needed. Um, I don't know if you saw I did a piece this morning kind of just about why, you know, if, if anyone's wondering why people don't want us to win the league, I kind of highlighted all the reasons as to why there's a lot of reasons why people may not want us to win the league, even though, you know, we're up against uh, a team currently under investigation, um, which is, you know, hilarious in itself. But we should be confident and we have reasons to be confident. You know, our records 
away from home in itself is is so impressive. Um, to, to be able to say that you've kept nine of your 12 clean sheets away from home is brilliant. Um, and yes, obviously, we could have, I think, responded better to, to what we came up against last weekend in terms of the, the reaction after the Xhaka and the, the first goal and all of that stuff, sure. But I think actually how we approach that Liverpool game should go as a warning to, to clubs like City, Newcastle, Brighton, Chelsea, that we still got to play. That you know, this team, no matter who you're going up against, no matter where you are, this team will rip you apart if you give them the opportunity to do that. And and we have done that. And now we've got Jesus back, looking like he's better than ever. Uh, I mean, I, I arguably think he's come back a better player than what we had prior to the World Cup. You know, scoring regularly, uh, three and two he's got now in terms of starts. And I think that he'll be looking to continue to kind of make up for lost time. And that's a motivated player that you need during this period. And he doesn't need any extra motivation, but I think he's managed to get it. And uh, not only that, <clears throat> not only that, sorry, but we got some amazing signings in January. Trossard coming in and doing really, really well. And I think we've backed up the team really well with, uh, you know, Kivior is what it is. But I think Jorginho has done a really good job as well. So, yeah, we've got good depth too. In terms of confidence levels Dan how much is your confidence level going into what remains of the season impacted by the fact that at the moment we're without William Saliba now Tom might be able to give us a bit more information on this but from what I've read today he wasn't involved in training again uh, with the West Ham game on the horizon it, it feels like it could be that we're working him back towards fitness for that game against City but I don't know about you I'm I'm really my confidence is impacted actually quite severely by the fact that we're without him and we're having to rely on Rob Holding. I didn't think he had a bad game overall at Anfield, if I'm being honest, but there was that moment where he gives away a penalty and, and that kind of serves as a bit of a reminder as to how sometimes clumsy he can be and, and the fact that he's not quite that top, top level of a defender. So how much does Saliba being out impact how you're feeling? Because for me, it's it's a big deal. So I said weeks ago that I was quietly confident we could win this league if everyone stays fit. And I'm talking about the first 11, not the whole 25. We get we get injuries. It's going to happen. But I do believe that he's one of the four or five key figures that I would not want injured, uh, along with Thomas Partey, Kai Saka, and obviously Jesus. But I think Rob Holden, um, the frustrating thing is, it doesn't sound frustrating because it's going to sound weird me saying this. He hasn't had a bad game yet. And that's frustrating for me because I know he's going to. And I don't know when it's going to happen. And I kind of want him to brush the cobwebs off, so to speak, so we can go on a run. But at the moment, he's going on an all right run. So I'd love that to continue. But I've seen for the last four or five years that that just doesn't happen. If Rob Holding's asked to play for the rest of the season, he is going to have some mistakes in him. And he's going to definitely cost us a goal. Now, whether that costs us the game or not, we don't know yet. But I just... I feel very negative when people talk about Rob Holding, but I can understand their concerns because he's not William Saliba. We don't point the finger and say, you're hopeless, get the hell out of the club. But at the same time, he is definitely a huge, huge drop-off to William Saliba. Now, I'm absolutely fine if he's coming in, Harry, and playing against Palace and Leeds at home. That's not an issue for me. I actually thought he was OK at Anfield like you, and I think that he can do a job for sure. And he certainly did one on Haaland that he had in the FA Cup. Didn't actually think he was too bad. I think the only reason he got subbed was because he was on a yellow. But I do think that it is a, a kind of a ticking time bomb, and it's like, we need you back now. And you know when Jesus was out for that long. Eddie come in and it was like, oh, this is all right. And then it's like, okay, I need Jesus back now. That's what I think we're going to be like with Saliba. It's going to be like, you've done a job for a few games, but your few games is done now. Where's Saliba? Is this a long-term thing? And what worries me is that no one actually knows how long-term this is. 
and I don't know why. And that, to me, doesn't sound like good news. Now, Tom might be able to tell me that, yeah, he's back and it's all good. But from what I'm hearing, he's missed again another training session. So it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So I just feel personally like there could be more confidence within the fan base and also within the first 11 with Saliba in it. So I do pray and hope that he can play at least some part of this game, of this season because I just think he's incredibly important for what the whole of that back line do um, moving forward. And to be clear as well, when I say that about Rob Holding, I'm not sitting here saying he's, he's the worst defender ever. And he's a donkey. And, you know, I've heard people saying that he's the worst centre-back in the Premier League, it's a, which is complete and utter nonsense. Wow. I just think that the way we play requires a very particular skill set. And the re- one of the reasons that we've been able to progress so much this season, play with a higher line, pass out from the back that we the way we do, be as press-resistant as we are, is because we finally got two centre-halves that can play in the way that we want them to play. And I think we've been really unlucky as well in that Tommy Asu's injury means that we don't even have the option of tucking Ben White inside or even playing Tommy Asu as the right-sided centre-back where he's played before in his career. So for me, this is not Rob Holding is terrible. This is Rob Holding is just not quite the right fit for what we want to do. And then you get to the point where you consider maybe compromising some of your style in order to accommodate that and that can put you in a dangerous place um tom what do you know about the saliba situation because i've been trying to keep across it I, I know that the club don't give out much information it's a very Mikel arteta thing to keep us guessing maybe that could be good news but it could be bad news as well what's your understanding of the situation yeah i mean you're spot on i've never i've never known the club be more secretive about an injury situation. I mean, ironically, probably arguably since Gabriel Jesus. Um, you know, this season they've been really keen on keeping things quiet. I, I heard a rumour that he took part in a little bit of the recovery session on Monday. Um, but I, I can't validate the claim. It was just kind of a tip-off, but from someone that's that's got stuff right before. Um, they are just being exceptionally cautious with him. And who can blame them? You know, some people were saying that if we could get like 30, 40% from him, throw him in against Liverpool at Anfield. And I'm like, no, it's mad to do that. You know, yeah. if you can get him fit for the last four or five games, great. You know, do that. <clears throat> Hold off on him. But uh, it's it's difficult to see how he comes back in quickly. I think they're going to be targeting the Man City game. I think they're going to be looking at that and saying, we have got to try and get him back for this. But, uh, you know, Rob Holding is is a player that Arteta has kept. And if you look at the players that he inherited, there's very few that are left. So if Arteta feels that holding is good enough to continue and stay with the club, you know, they must see enough in him to believe he's good enough to still be here. And I think that he's coming and putting some really good performances for us. You're right. You know, stylistically, he doesn't fit the Saliba Gabriel mould, if you like. But in a title-challenging team, there are very few backup centre-backs that can bring you what the starting players can. I mean, you look at how even someone like Emmerich Laporte has kind of fallen away from the starting lineups of the Manchester City sides. I think Ake's really come forward this season, developed a lot for Man City. But there's even been times where Ruben Diaz has been left out of that squad because he's not necessarily given Guardiola what he wants. Carl Walker has effectively been ousted from their starting eleven recently as well. I, ironically, I think he'll come back in against Arsenal because they'll use him as the pace to keep up with Martinelli. But it's it's so difficult to try and bring in a backup centre-back to be as good 
as a starting title challenging level centre-back. It's really hard to be able to do because if you're a centre-back coming in and you're going, well, why would I move to Arsenal? I'm not going to play. You've got Saliba and Gabriel here. You know, I'm going to have to like fight for my place, which a lot of people have to do. But a club at like Arsenal where there's never been that guarantee of, a ch- uh, of challenging for a title up until this point, and even then, next season is not necessarily a guarantee. We hope that that's the target it's again, and it should be. But Man City are a team that can go out and get, you know, uh, a Laporte whilst they've already got Stones. And I think they had Otamendi when they brought him in as well. Uh, and obviously they brought in Diaz and players like that because a player joining City knew they were getting a title challenge every year. At Arsenal, we've got to build to the point where we can now look to try and convince players that even though Saliba and Gabriel are here, we've got to bring now a player in that can compete and you're going to be given the opportunities to fight for your place in a team that is competing for the the best honours in the game. And up until now, Rob Holder's done a really good job in deputising. Um, he's not Saliba. He won't ever be Saliba. But the job that he's done, you know, I think is admirable. And that's all I can really ask from him. Yeah, yeah. Fair points. Um, Dan, obviously, big game coming up against West Ham at the weekend. That'll be followed by... Uh, the game against Southampton at Emirates Stadium. And then, of course, it's that trip to the Etihad. Um, what do you think we need points-wise from the next three games to be in the in the position that we want to be going into the the sort of running? And, and what I mean by that is, do you think we need a point at City? Do you think we need to to win both games and, and draw at City? Like, what, what have you got in your head in terms of what Arsenal need to be aiming for going into what's going to be a crucial three games. Because I don't really want to look beyond that City game at the moment. I know people keep talking about Mm. Newcastle and Chelsea at home. I'm at the point where I feel like if we can get to the end of this mini run of three games in a solid position, then, you know, it's in our hands. Let's go and do it. Because all week I've heard people telling me, oh, well, it's in City's hands now. Yeah, it is because they play us, but it's also in our hands as well. And I feel like that's been overlooked. Yeah, I think it's funny that people now finally want to shout from the rooftops that it's in Man City's hands when it's been on Arsenal's hands for weeks and weeks and weeks, but no one cared. Um, I do think it's hard to look beyond the West Ham game, mate, let alone beyond the West Man City game. But I understand that fans do tend to look ahead to Newcastle and Chelsea at home and Brighton at home and, and what we're going to do against Forest away and Wolves at home at the end of the season. I get that. It's exciting because everyone really wants it to be over now and kind of know if we've won it or not. You know, it's mad. But um, what we want is nine points out of nine. What we need is probably seven. And when I mean seven, I'm talking about beating West Ham, beating Southampton and not losing it the Etihad and drawing. Because if I look at the games where I think we can drop points, I do think there's two games that we can drop points and I think that we will drop points. And as long as we don't lose both of those, I still think we've got a chance of winning it, even if Mad City win the rest of their games, because we've managed to get a little bit of a lead. Now, if we do go and win at the Etihad, then I'll be very disappointed if we don't win the league. Very, very disappointed. So I do think we can beat them, but we have to have our best side, like we really do. But as far as I'm concerned for what's important is it's West Ham. Um, but if you're asking me the question, what do we need points-wise, then I would say three points at West Ham, three points at Southampton, at least a point at the Etihad to move forward with any sort of comfort level of having a chance of, of taking Man City on and, and really taking it to the wire. Tom, do you think we could benefit from the fact that by the time we play Man City, we'll be another game ahead of them? in terms of, obviously, they've got an FA Cup game coming up, which means they're not in Premier League action that weekend. Psychologically, we could potentially open up a bigger lead. Now, I know they'd have the games in hand, but do you think that that is an advantage to Arsenal if they can make it count? 
it's always better to have the points on the board. You know, at the end of the day, I'd much rather have the wins than than the games in hand, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. So, yeah, arguably so. I think it is a little bit negligible because you expect them to beat the teams. West Ham, I think, is one of them. I know Brighton away is a tough fixture, but still, they will be heavy favourites still to win that game. For me, it's really simple, is that in the next three games, Arsenal can't lose. If Arsenal lose one of the next three games, I think it's done. Um, if we you know, lose to Southampton or, or West Ham, it's, it, I just can't see us getting back into it. And if we lose to Man City, I think they'll go on and win it. Um, you know, People talk about the idea of bottling things. If Arsenal lose to City, and that's the only game we really lose in the race for the title and we don't win it, you, know, you can't really say Arsenal have bottled the league. They've lost to the team that they were beaten by. They will, lose, though, uh, they will, though. Sorry? Football fans will. Oh, they will they tell us. Well, they will tell well, us that we've bottled it. How can you bottle the league? That's all anyway, that happens. But if we lose to Southampton or West Ham, then you, then I have no defence to say that we've bottled it because they're teams we should beat in a season we're going for a league title. The expectation is that we win the next two games. And by the way, what's also important about winning the next two games compared to when we played City last time is when we played City last time, we lost to Everton, we drew against Brentford, and then we played City. We have to go in with momentum. That's so important to go into that game. And obviously, we also lost Partey within 24 hours of the kickoff as well, which was a big, big blow. So those three things, the two games before and the injury factor, and who knows, maybe Saliba will be back by then. If those three things go our way, we go into that City game with so much more confidence than we had in the previous fixture where we made those mistakes. Because in that City game, we only lost that game to City because of our own self-inflicted idiocy, you know. And we created the chances in that game to score. And the the goal that we scored, obviously, in that game, we we earned ourselves, you know, from that, that chance we created to go into the box that won the penalty. And we should have scored other opportunities that we created for ourselves, not from City mistakes, but from our own good football. Whereas their goals came from, yes, good football, but after mistakes made by Arsenal. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really simplistic thing for me. Win the next three, and I think that you're on the way to the title. Lose any of the next three, and I think we probably sacrifice it. Good stuff. Uh, guys, we're going to take some of your questions and thoughts from the chat box. So start uh, getting those in, and I'll pick out as many as we possibly can in the time that we've got available. Uh, just before we continue on through the podcast, just want to quickly remind you guys uh, that this show is currently brought to you in partnership with NordVPN, uh, named one of Time's 2022 Best Inventions. It costs the price of a cup of coffee per month and the benefits, I'm sure you'll agree, uh, more than justify the cost. You can protect uh, your data whilst traveling and using public Wi-Fi. Uh, NordVPN, of course, protects you wherever you are in the world. You can watch sporting events, TV shows and films that aren't available in your region. You can purchase flights, subscriptions and more at cheaper prices by logging in from another virtual location. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash chronicles afc to get a huge discount off of your nordvpn plan and four additional months for free it's completely risk-free with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee so if you don't like it uh, you can of course get that money back and uh, and go again but to put it into layman's terms uh, for those of you that are wondering what a vpn is it's a virtual private network which allows you to log in uh, to the internet from different virtual locations so for example set your location to the united states log into Netflix, you'll get a totally different list of shows and films uh, that you can watch. You'll be able to watch content that isn't available in your region and in your country. And I use it quite a bit when I want to watch Greek football uh, that is geo-blocked by logging into a, a virtual location in Greece 
and being able to access the TV channels that way. So that's one of the big benefits. But the flights thing, I think, is a big deal as well, because often if you search from the location uh, of which you're traveling to, you probably find you get a better deal. We just seem to get robbed here uh, in the UK, whatever we do, whether it's gas prices, electric prices, or flight prices as well. Uh, so do check it out. As I say, you get four months uh, additional um, on the end of your plan and you get a huge discount by going to nordvpn.com forward slash chronicles AFC. Link is in the description. Okay, now I've done that and I'm out of breath. Uh, I'm going to put it over to you guys to answer some questions. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Um, WBL makes a good point. He says, how many teams went to Liverpool this season and got a point? Dan, do you think the fact that we got a point has been uh, like dismissed by some people? Because mm. for me, you know, it was Arsenal were lucky to get out of there with a point in the end. Yeah, I accept that to a point, but we still did get a point. And, and why are people talking as though we went there and lost and as though our momentum's completely been killed by that? I think because we were 2 0 up, that's all I can think, really. If we were 2 0 down and we come back into the game, I think people would have been raving about it, going, Oh my God, Arsenal are going to win this league. Look, they're 2 0 down, they still haven't lost. So it's crazy, isn't it, to think that we were 2 0 up and we threw it away and everyone was deflated. But I think it would have been the other way around and they've been tailored two halves the other way. And Liverpool go 2 0 up and we come back at Anfield into the game and have the chance to win it with a missed penalty. Um, let's say that we missed the penalty. I think people will be going, wow. I mean, they put that penalty away and it's Arsenal's title. Um, they're still in it. So I think it's a point gained when you when you look at it because of the fact that Aaron Ramsdale's kept us in it. Salah's missed the penalty. I think we might look back at that game and go, yeah, we thought Reese Nelson's was important. That was a really important result as well. So you never know what that's going to mean, in, unfortunately, in football. But when you look at the actual games that are, are coming up, what I don't think people have really given enough thought into is what's already happened. And what I mean by that is we're all particularly worried about the Etihad and Newcastle. We're all worried about Brighton because they can turn up against any team. If I could swap the Newcastle away and the Brighton at home fixture with Everton away and Southampton away, I'd probably do it. But we lost to Everton and we drew at Southampton away. I reckon Man City would probably rather go to uh, Nottingham Forest's ground than play Brighton at their ground. But they couldn't beat Nottingham Forest. It was nil-nil. So I just feel personally like there's a lot that's been dismissed that's already happened. And I think that everyone's expecting Man City to win every game and Arsenal to win every game. And then it's what happens at the Etihad. I think potentially both teams could still drop points here because I never, ever thought that we'd lose at Everton. I never thought we'd draw to Brentford. And I was getting excited thinking, wow, Spurs have just beaten City. We've got Everton and Brentford, mate. That should be six points. And Manchester City were probably thinking, Phew, Arsenal just about scored a last-minute goal. We got Forest. Thank you very much. We'll take three points there. Oh, balls. We haven't. So I think sometimes we dismiss what's already happened this season, which is, let's be fair, Harry, a crazy season. I don't remember a season with, what, eight games left where everybody is fighting for something. On my channel not long ago, Billy, who's an Aston Villa fan, said, we're the only team that haven't really got anything to play for. Now they're sixth. <laughs> it's absolutely mad about what has happened in this side. So I think people forget um, what's already happened and how it could quite easily happen again with eight games to go. Yeah, great point. Really good point. Uh, Tom Wesbird says, uh, so now having had time to reflect on the match against Liverpool, what is your opinion on the incident with Xhaka that seemed to ignite the crowd and did it cost us the three points? I've had my say on this. Um, 
so I'm not going to chip in on this one. But Tom, how did you see that? Because it is a debate that's been going on for days now. And um, yeah. my view is quite clear, but I, I want to get yours. Yeah, look, I think in the moment, uh, I really thought it made more of an impact than it did. Um, I think obviously watching it on telly as well, the immediate punditry from Jamie and Gary was like, oh, that's a mistake. He's the, the crowd's whipped up now sort of thing. And it was in commentary they were talking about. It was almost as if they were talking that opinion into the minds of everyone in a way. I spoke to Kaya, who was at Anfield for the game, and he said that he felt as though being in the ground, that actually that didn't necessarily change the crowd. Um, and actually, they were more emboldened by the goal that was scored moments later. Now, obviously, whether or not, I, I think actually the Xhaka moment has more of an influence on the Liverpool players than the Liverpool crowds. I think the players responded more than what the crowd did. And that's why we maybe saw them go and score. Maybe there is something to be said about the impact on what we scored. But there's a lot of defensive question marks to come from that goal and a little bit of fortune with Henderson's cross-come shot to Salah, you know, that he messed up and very fortunately landed at the feet of the Egyptian that Gabriel then kicks onto him. Um, I, I don't think it's as... Uh, influential as I did in the aftermath of the emotional kind of hour after the game where I had to do like a match reaction show and then I think I did one in the morning after and I still thought I was I was a bit caught up in the Xhaka moment I think in the winner I wrote the winners and losers piece and I think I said that Xhaka was the reason why we didn't win and in the morning I went back and edited that to say he was one of the reasons why we didn't win the game because it was a bit too harsh so in and now I've had like a week to, to think about it. I think it's more so... I look at the substitutions in the second half as a bigger reason why we didn't win the game than the Xhaka situation for me. So what what did you think Mikel got wrong substitutions-wise? Because I, I yeah. think I kind of agreed with half of them, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm interested to know which ones it is that you... So I thought Tini came on way too late, for starters. I, I think Tini should have come up as Inchenka earlier. Um I think, ironically, if you make the changes he made and swap them round sort of thing, um, then we would have been in a situation where Kivio coming on for the last 10 minutes to make it a back five may have been better in that moment and then Tinny locking down that side. But I also thought that we kind of sacrificed the, the midfield advantage that we may have had when we took off Erdegaard. Because I feel as though if you'd, have brought, or if you'd brought on, say, Jorginho, for instance, who's quite a press-resistant player you have him sitting in front of the back uh, with Partey and Xhaka slightly ahead of him, obviously still playing quite deep. And they had just Thiago and, Han uh, and Henderson. So if we'd have been, I think, a little bit less panicky in the way in which we changed the structure to just say, basically, welcome Liverpool, you know, attack us as much as you like, I think maybe we would have done better. Because it just felt like an inevitability that Liverpool were going to score. No matter if we were playing five at the back or four at the back, at that time, it felt like it was an inevitability that they'd score. So I felt as though we didn't... We, I think we would have been better trying to take more of the game to them and trying to do more to try and get that third than trying to hold the two-goal lead, or the 2-1 the lead at the time, if that makes sense. Dan, how much of that was Arsenal sort of surrendering control, maybe because they were caught up in the atmosphere or maybe because of the PTSD that we have from going to Anfield in the past? And how much of that was because Liverpool were that good in the second half? Yeah, I think you have to give credit to what Liverpool turned up in the second half. Um, the Chaka incident for me, I think, 
whether it changed the result or we'll never really, I'm not going to blame him for the result, but I um, I do think he's silly getting involved in something like that, which has the opportunity to raise the crowd and the players. I think it lifted both from what I could see. It's no coincidence that 25 seconds later, the ball's in the back of the net. Uh, similarly to what happened when Arteta and Klopp had that row on the touchline, the crowd get up, boom, goal. And you think, oh, really? We were doing all right until people lost their heads. So I can understand where fans come from in that respect. In the second half, I think the subs were a little bit crazy, if I'm honest. Uh, the timings of them and some of them were a bit odd. Um, I understand that Jesus and Saka were both knackered, but Jesus, for me, was having a lot more of an effect than Saka in the game. And I probably would have taken Saka off instead of Jesus for Trossard. Um, the other thing I probably would have done, if Erdegaard had to come off, I, pro I understand it. I thought he was pretty ineffective, if I'm honest. Erdegaard, I think all players were swamped on him and Saka. And I would have probably brought Jorginho on. And I think some of his attributes could have been a benefit to what we needed at the time to try and soak up a little bit of pressure. Um, Kivior, listen, I'm still in two minds on this one because I understand you might want to shore it up and you're the only option you've got at the back. But I don't really know that I've seen anything of this kid yet. So throwing him on at Anfield was a little bit of a risk. And I agree with Tom, the Kieran Tierney one, about 55 minutes onwards, I was going, bring him on now. Any, any bring him on now? No. Goal. I oh, would bring him on now. Well done. Bit late, fella. Um, we're now drawing. But um, for me... He was that trying was to bring injury. him on as we conceded, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> yeah, he was. But it was way too late still, it wasn't was it? And late. I think, yeah, I think they, they're the only things. But, Harry, it's easy in hindsight for us to sit on a podcast and say what you should have done. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we give opinions on what we think we could have done to try and shore things up. And I do think that, the, that some of those things I, I would have liked to have seen... Um, but I will say that Martinelli, Saka and Trossard situation at the end is probably going to haunt me for a very long time. How we haven't scored from that opportunity is is crazy. And, um, you know, Martinelli's got more chance of lobbing the keeper from there than overhitting it like that. So it was frustrating. But listen, man, it's a point gained. I still believe that. Yeah, I mean, just, just quickly on the Xhaka thing. So I was at Anfield as well. And, and what I kind of noticed was things building up to that point. So it wasn't just that moment. So, um, you know, when that, that situation happened where there was the high boot on Martinelli and he went down, I think it was Konate, that really pissed them off, the ones that were sitting behind me anyway. Um, and then there was another incident that involved uh, Gabriel Jesus where he got smashed into the back. Um, that pissed them off as well. There was a little bit of, they were, they were getting annoyed by what they were calling Arsenal's play acting at the time. And so... I think it was a culmination of those incidents that led to that eruption point. But I think the eruption point from being in the stadium really came when they scored. Um, so I, like you, don't really want to pin it on Jacker. The, the, the other issue that we've got here, though, is that we, we talk a lot about going to Anfield and, you know, being careful not to ignite the crowd. And I agree when you're 2-0 up, you probably don't need to do it. But at the same time, how do you put it into a, a player's mind how do you approach it psychologically in terms of saying, I want you to go out and compete and give your absolute everything and, and play with your heart and with fire. But at the same time, I want you to second think everything you're about to do because of the impact it has on the crowd. I don't think you can put that in a player's mind. I think that the crowd is the crowd. And if it wasn't that that they got pissed off about, they were going to get pissed off about something else, a throw in being given the wrong way or something. Like, I think it's about maturity and keeping your head at the same time, though. I, I, I get what you're saying because we love Vieira and Keane and they were mature, but they weren't at times. Do you know what I mean? So I understand what you're saying. But if Chaka walks off, smiles at him and goes, 2-0, mate, and walks off, then it might still get the crowd up. But at the same time, 
it won't lose your head in the diff. It will lose your head in a different way. If that makes sense, it will show him that ah, these are really rattled. They're two nil down. Bless them. It won't be like you what, mate? What are you saying about us? And then every all of a sudden it goes to pot. Um, you don't know. You don't know what how how that has affected the result. I think at that moment, from what I'm being told, I was on the watch along, so I didn't hear the crowd. From what I was told, we absolutely killed the crowd. We were so good, and Liverpool fans thought, "Oh dear, this is gonna we're in for a bad night." Um, and as soon as that happened, he got the crowd up. They scored, and that was it. Back in the game. Wow, cheers. Um, Trent knows what he's doing. He's gone up to the one that he knows is going to potentially lose his head. And he's right, because he has lost his head years and years now. Um, and he might have got one over him there. I don't know. We'll see. He did. Trent did spend some time uh, sort of trying to G up the crowd as well in that first half, down in that corner, uh, sort of close to the coffin where he was, where he was playing. So he clearly had that in mind. He had it in his mind that... If he could get the crowd on side, that would really, really help Liverpool. Um, Jared asks, do we think that Emil Smith-Rowe will be vital in the running of games? I really wanted, Tom, Emil Smith-Rowe to come back into the picture and have some sort of impact. But when he has got an opportunity to come on as a sub, and I know those opportunities have been few and far between because of where we're at. And I just, I'm not convinced by him at the moment. And, and I'm a bit disappointed because... I know he's been out for a long time. I know he had the injury problems. I know he had the surgery and he's had to work his way back to fitness. But he still doesn't look anywhere near the level for me in terms of his fitness. And that worries me a bit. I'm told that he's fully fit. Um, I know exactly what you mean. And you think about that Bournemouth game um, where he kind of came on and had to be subbed back off. And he, that was a long time ago. And he wasn't as, you know, he wasn't fit, fully fit then. I think that I think when it comes down to I think when it comes down to where he gets minutes this season, it's just not likely. You know, I'd much rather Trossard come on. I'd much rather Nelson come on at the moment because like I have tangible evidence that both Trossard and Nelson have had an impact when they've come off the bench. I don't have that with Smith Rowe in the same way. Yes, he had the header in the in the Bournemouth game. It's not necessarily a moment where I looked at, at that and go that's Emil Smith-Rowe and what he brings. It's not a header from across, back across the goal. That's not what you expect. It's just he did a good thing in a good moment. So I'd rather both Trossard or Nelson come on ahead of him right now. And I think that's fine. You know, he's just part of the team at the moment right now. He's in the summer. He's going to get a pre-season, come into next season, fully fit, be ready to go. We've got Champions League games, Cup games, Premier League games. And you've got to really look at that as the, the area of where Smith-Rowe will be impactful. Hopefully he has an impact this season. I don't necessarily see it happening, but that's, I think it's more down to he's just had a season where he's barely played. He was injured in the first half, had surgery, came back, didn't respond to the surgery particularly well or the recovery period particularly well. I think Arteta has been a, a slight tad harsh with the lack of minutes in certain games where we've had like a good lead. He could bring him on with the last 20 to go. He's not done that. And I think that's maybe played a little bit of a part in, in him not getting the minutes that he's needed. So... I'm not concerned by Smith-Rowe right now. I'm concerned in his long-term kind of future at Arsenal in regards to him being a starter because I just don't see anyone breaking apart our current front three, you know. So there could be a day where um, Smith-Rowe moves on and, and that could happen in his mid-20s. I don't think it happened this season, but I think next season is, is a really, really big one for him. Dan, where are you at on, on Emil Smith-Rowe? Because I am genuinely concerned about his Arsenal career now. I don't think that he's going to go on and, and as as Tom said, dislodge any of the front three. I think going back to last season, if we base it on the evidence, Mikel Arteta felt that his, his best position was probably from the left. 
Um, he's got a long way to go before he's hitting Martinelli levels. And now with Trossard in the picture as well, I feel like he's he's fallen further behind. It, has Mikel been ruthless? Like, uh, he has been ruthless, of course, by sort of going, no, I can't wait for Smith Rowe to get back. I need to go and bring in Trossard or whatever because of the situation we're in. But is there a way back for him in terms of being a regular starter for Arsenal going forward? I'm, I'm struggling to see it at this moment in time. Yeah, I worry for him, man. I worry for him because unless I'm naive or ignorant or both, um, I don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> I don't actually know what's wrong with the guy. He doesn't look fit whenever he's coming on from his injury recovery, which seems to be months, not weeks away. Um, he's not really cutting the mustard for me. He, he doesn't seem to be doing much in the games, which has any impact on it. And last season, he was so vital and so integral to what we were doing. And it was hard for Martinelli to get back into the side, if you remember, at one stage, because he was scoring goals. I think he got double figures last season. And this season, it's been really hard for him to get back into that side. Now, that's a good thing in a way, because it means we're playing so well. And it means that Martinelli and Saka are on absolute fire. Also, Jesus and Trossard aren't going to help. If I'm honest with you, like Tom says, Eddie and Nelson have played more minutes and actually contributed more than Emil Smith-Rowe. And some people may even say that Fabio Vieira has actually contributed more than Smith-Rowe this season because the opportunities just haven't been there for him. And I do worry because I think he's an unbelievably good player and I think he's potentially really good. But I have to say at the same time, I do worry about him because I wonder, I wonder Harry, where there, where there is a place for him right now being in one competition you know there was an opportunity being in Europe that he might get some minutes and when you're in the League Cups and the FA Cups early on he was injured throughout that period so he never really got the chance to to play and now he's just a bench warmer um when he is coming on I don't see much of an impact so it's a shame um I think we write the season off the, the problem is with that he's a year behind everybody now he's a year behind Martinelli another year behind Saka and um there's no doubt in my mind that there's a player there um, at his age, he's better than what Jack Grealish was, in my opinion, at that age. So I think he's got the potential still to have a high ceiling. But he needs to be playing football, man. And it's a worry that he's just going to be a bit part player, certainly for the rest of this season. Certainly. Certainly. Agree completely with all that. I'm worried about where he goes from here. But look, that's enough of the negativity because we're in the title race. Uh, we've got West Ham coming up on Sunday. Uh, just before I let you both go, uh, let's get some predictions uh, for that one. I'll start with you, Dan. Um, trip to the London Stadium. It's a place that, not to the level of Anfield, but it, it can ignite. But at the same time, West Ham have had a bit of a miserable season. And it's also a place we know that can turn quite toxic. And we kind of know all about that uh, in terms of our ground, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, they're a strange side this season, man. Like Those that watch my channel know the lawless, massive West Ham family deluded blessing but he's he's just so like up in the air about what's going on with Moyes and he wants him out and they're a team that are just in trouble but um it's never really an easy game when we go there we never we'll never walk out of it going cool oh, wow that was an absolute hammering um even last season's game was was not that you know two-headed goals from my defenders if I remember it correctly um won us the game and I think that we might go into this game at a good time to play them because they come off the back of the European game tonight, I believe. Um, so they're going to want to win that. I mean, they have to win that competition. It's the only thing they can do this season for me. Staying up, obviously, is number one, which I think they will do. And then, obviously, this competition, the Conference League. I'm going to go 2-0 Arsenal because I'm quite confident that we'll be OK. We seem to be still playing well, and they're not. They have good players, Declan Rice, um, Jared Bowen on his day. 
Paqueta, you know, has not really done anything in a West Ham shirt, but what I hear he's a good player. You know, Aguered on his day is apparently a really good centre-half, but it's hard to judge the West Ham team this season because they've just been so poor as a collective. So I am confident quietly that we'll get three points here and uh, I'm going to go 2-0 Arsenal. Tom? Yeah, I think we'll be okay. Them playing tonight is a big, big plus as well. Um, obviously, they're in Belgium. They'll be back tomorrow. So, there's no excuse not to win this game well, I don't think. So, I'm going to go 3-0 Arsenal. Nice one. I'm going to go 3-1 Arsenal uh, is where I'm at now. That might change when I do the preview show tomorrow when I have more time to sort of think and mull over it. But, yeah, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Arsenal win. Uh, Andrew Dawson says, when are you guys going to do another an audience with like the Hippodrome one? You know what? We should sit down and discuss doing something like that again. Um, it was great fun. Uh, we appreciate everybody that came down. Um, Lee Judge's TV uh, involved. Uh, Tom Canton's The Guna Talk. Um, everybody else put in the heavy lifting. i got to be honest, I just turned up, which was, was great. That's what I do. Um, but yeah, we definitely need to get uh, get talking about doing something like that as it was great fun. Right, we're going to leave it there, guys. Um, thank you both so much for giving up your time. I know you're both super busy at the moment, so really, really appreciate it. Tom, let people know where they can follow you, uh, how they can keep across your fantastic content. Yeah, you can follow me at uh, The Guna Talk. Uh, always doing shuff at 8 a.m. every single day uh, and and trying to do more at 6 p.m. as well, twice a day. We've got a preview show today uh, in 37 minutes, so if you want to check that out, you can do. Uh, speaking of live shows, if you're based in the U.S., uh, we're going to be doing a live show next week in Chicago. Um, really excited to travel out there and meet some of our US-based supporters. I think there's a handful, I've been told, of tickets left. So if you're quick, you might be able to get hold of a couple. So there you go. Brilliant stuff. And Dan, tell people about your fantastic channel and how they can find you. Well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, big up, Tom. Big up yourself, Harry. Big up the chat. Make sure you smash a like on this and subscribe if you're new. Um, and if you do want to follow me, you can follow me on Insta and Twitter and all socials on DanArsenal87. Um, and please come over. We hit 8K now on my channel. So um, it's Football's 12th Man podcast. Uh, I appreciate you coming over and joining us tonight. We've got a Man City versus Arsenal show, Race for the Title show at 9pm with myself and Premzi. And we've got Daps and Huey from Big Six that are coming on as well to talk all things Arsenal and Man City on that Race for the Title. So please make sure you come join us at 9pm. Harry, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you to every single one of you for tuning in. We'll be back with another show. It'll be our Arsenal uh, versus or West Ham versus Arsenal preview show. Uh, that's coming up tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Uh, we'll be bringing you some reaction from the London Stadium on Sunday as well. So lots of content coming your way. Make sure you subscribe, drop a like on the video, etc., etc. And I'll see you all soon. Until next time, take care. Peace. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon.